Good morning, Crossway. It's always great to be here. It's a privilege. Um, yeah, and I know a lot of familiar faces, some that aren't as familiar, but I hope as time goes, we'll get to uh, know each other. After all, we're going to spend an eternity in heaven forever, all right? Um, we're continuing in our series titled Finding Contentment. And today, I'll talk about something in our series that maybe we don't, we, or, or maybe you have, I don't know, but maybe you're under the impression that the Bible does not speak to us regarding work and our contentment at work and how we do this. The passage we just read, verses 23 to 25 of Colossians 3, does seem to address work, doesn't it? After all, it says, work heartily as for the Lord. However, we'll see that from the context, it might not be quite what you expected. Now, I'm a pastor today, uh, but there was a period of my life where I was just working, and um, I, I finished two years of seminary, and I realized I had no money, and seminary wasn't cheap, so I, I, I went and I kind of put a hiatus on school, and I went and got a job, and I was <laughs> working as, it was kind of interesting, I was working as an Algebra 1 and 2 teacher. And uh, so Friday night, I was serving as a youth director, and so starting Friday night, I would do church, and so kind of felt like I was working seven days a week. Um, but I remember, it's kind of funny, you know, you guys, how you guys dread uh, uh, Monday morning or Sunday night, depending on, you know, when, when it starts for you. I, I remember that feeling. You know, and I would, oh man, and so Mondays pr pretty much became pop quiz day uh, mornings for me because I just put in a full weekend at church. And then starting Thursday night, I would get this dread once again. Like you guys, if you're a Monday through Friday, you get the weekend to look forward to. But for me, I was like, oh no, I got sermons to prep, Bible studies to make sure I'm ready for. And it was, it was pretty, you know, tiring. In 2017, Jim Clifton wrote this very brief article uh, called The World's Broken Workplace, and according to the Gallup's World Poll, he said that many people in the world hate their job and especially their boss. Wow. You don't have to read it. That's pretty much what he talks about. Hate their job and especially their boss. I, actually, that one year of my life, I kind of related to that. Not my boss at church, um, but at school. Is there a way to find contentment or happiness at work? An interesting question. If you look at Colossians 3, but instead of starting at verse 23, where we started a little earlier, if we go all the way back to five whole verses, 18, and start there instead, we'll see something very familiar to some of us. Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, obey your parents. Verse 21, fathers, don't provoke your children. So up to this point, we see that Paul is addressing household relationships, and he's giving commandments and rules as to how we ought to live and govern ourselves in the home. And then he gets to verse 22, and now he speaks to bondservants. Or some of your translations may even say slaves. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then here's where we started. Whatever you do, all right, 
Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. So what's interesting about the verses that we just read, Paul wasn't writing to a bunch of career people, office guys, wasn't writing to doctors or lawyers or construction workers. He was actually writing to bond servants who, uh, according to their culture and time, would be considered basically slaves. It's very different in many ways from the slavery of, of America in our dark history. Uh, there's definite differences, but they were still owned by someone else, and their lives were all about doing the will of someone else. The differences, though, wasn't done by race. They weren't caught, captured, kidnapped, and then forced into slavery. Many of them, in fact, volunteered into slavery. Uh, large cities at that time, such as Colossae, even uh, experts estimate as much as a third of the population of a large city like Colossae might have been made up of bond servants. And the range of, of the type of bond the worst kind, you'd be working in the salt mines, you'd have a very short life, tough life, hard work. Obviously, in Colossians 3, he's talking to bond servants who are living and working in a household. These were very different kinds of bond because you're running the business of the house. The family's affairs would be trusted to you. And so you are treated with, oftentimes, dignity and respect. Uh, freedom probably would have been worse for most of these bond servants and households than, you know, uh, because... Often atheists have pointed to passages like this, and why doesn't just Paul call for abolition, escape, and masters to free their slaves, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have too much time to get into it right now, uh, uh, but I tried to in first service, and I went, I went too long. So I'm just going to skip that part now, and I'll just wrap it up by saying the Bible does not endorse or speak highly of slavery at all. In fact, what undermined slavery was the principles and teachings of Jesus, right? So... We'll just, and Paul himself called for Onesimus, a slave, to be freed in Philemon, the letter of Philemon. So he was definitely not calling for or endorsing slavery. But he does speak into the reality of these people's lives. And to them, he says this, work heartily as for the Lord. Work heartily. If you look at your outlines, you will see that this is going to comprise the bulk of my message today. What does it mean to work heartily and how can we work heartily? First of all, to work heartily is not talking about uh, the idea of working with joy. Like if, if your wife asks you to take out the garbage or the trash and you're in the middle of watching you know, Sunday night football and you're like, all right, I'll go and I, you know, I did not do this heartily. He's talking about something else. Uh, I think uh, a great quote is from... Um, Douglas Moo, he says, work at it with enthusiasm strikes the wrong note. So that's not what Paul is talking about here. Suggesting that Paul was concerned with the degree of effort rather than the motivation for the effort. So to work heartily is not saying, hey, do it with some enthusiasm. Come on, put some you know, joy into this, put some heart into this. He's actually talking about the authentic person. When you do something from the heart, right? you do it with all that you are. It's real, it's genuine, and it's true. It is done with a person's life. And that is what Paul is telling the bondservant to do. You're a slave, you're a bondservant, you don't have, uh, you don't even own yourself, and yet he tells them to work heartily. 
So in no way am I trying to today compare our lives with the lives of these bond servants and saying, hey, your job is probably very similar to this job. Some of you might disagree and say, oh, I am a slave at work. Ooh, that got some laughs at first service, but... No, I'm not trying to say that. However, clearly, the principles that Paul speaks of here and the things that he says, and especially this main idea of work heartily as for the Lord, it definitely applies to us today. It is timeless, and it's a principle, I think, that maybe the fact that we are free employees emphasizes even more this reality of what it means to work heartily. All right, so we're going to jump right in. How can we work heartily? Number one. Even though this commandment and exhortation is given by Paul to bondservants, working is not just for slaves. That's point one. Working is not just for slaves. In fact, if you look at me, uh, look at, not me, look at Genesis 2 with me, all right, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. In these short few verses is mentioned over and over, three times in fact, the work that God himself had done. Tim Keller has a great quote about this. In the beginning, then God worked. God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. Great quote. I love how he can say in a few words what I'm going to say in a lot of words. <laughs> right? I used to think work was the result of Adam and Eve's failure. If only, if only they had not rebelled, there would be no such thing as work. No Monday morning blues. We would not need vacation. Why? Life would be a vacation. Who needs Hawaii when there's no work? Just go to your pool in one of your fantastic communities here in Irvine, under the palm tree, sipping on a Coca-Cola, and enjoy life. Monday to Sunday, no work. But in the, in the exact same chapter, verse 15, you might be surprised to see something in paradise. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? Work it and keep it. The Garden of Eden for us, what? That's the place where we're supposed to enjoy paradise. The Garden of Eden is where no one worked. He just walked around and plucked fruit off the trees. Honey and fruits and whatever the Garden of Eden provided. Just lounged around all day. No one even had to fan the palm brushes, right? Leaves. It just, God did it with the wind. Just sat there. There was work in the Garden of Eden. In fact, according to this verse, in paradise, God put man in the Garden of Eden 
to do work. Work was there from day one. And it wasn't there because of sin. It was there because it was part of how we were created and how we were designed. And so, as a result, we cannot say the answer to being content, the answer to being happy is, I'm going to reject work. I'm going to figure out how I can not work, how I can stop working. And we're not just talking about vocation. We're talking about whatever it is that you do because work can be staying at home. Work can be providing and caring for others or your family. It could be preparing for your work. It could be in between work. We are not allowed to simply say, the answer is this, I will figure out how to not work. Because God worked and we're made in his image. Amen? So if we were designed to work, we are created for work, and we can't reject work, then there's something very important that we have to acknowledge right off the bat, and it's there in verse 23. Who are we to work for? It's point two. We work for the Lord. Many of our problems arise when we put the wrong person at the center of work. If we put ourselves there and we do work for ourselves, we are the ultimate benefactor or purpose or reason why we work. It will become selfish, idolatrous, and you cannot help but fall into the trap of worshiping work. If we put other people at the center of our work and you work for man and not for God, the same thing will result. The only way we can work heartily is... And the reason why we have to put the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of our work is because he is the one who has called us to live our lives and appointed us and assigned us our lives. Very interesting verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. I don't know if you've ever stopped and paused and, and read this verse. It's, it's interesting because it's actually in a passage that talks about marriage. Okay? But he pauses, well, he's talking about whether you're single, whether you're married, and he pauses, and then he says this, really interesting. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all the churches. Did you guys know there's a rule for all churches? Here's a rule. Paul does doesn't just write this to the church at Colossae. He wasn't just writing it to the churches that he planted or that he was ministering to or in or that he guest spoke at. He says, this is a rule for all of my churches. And what is this rule? Look, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you to which God has called you to. Now normally, when we see those kinds of words, those terms being assigned to something, being called to something, what do we think of? We think of sacred tasks and jobs. Missionaries are assigned to Cambodia, to Japan, to Afghanistan. Missionaries are called and appointed. Pastors are called and assigned. Paul is not speaking of those kinds of things. 
He takes a, he's talking about marriage. And the reality of this verse is he's actually talking about status, who you are. And he says, look, if you're single, you don't have to become married. If you're married, you don't have to become single. If you're doing this, you don't have to do that. One of the biggest uh, things for Paul was that, look, he's, he's ministering to and he's speaking to a church that was super diverse. It was one of my first uh, retreats I ever spoke at, and this was my first year of seminary. And you know, if your first year of seminary, everything is nerve-wracking. I still remember my first preaching class, and I had to get up in front and preach in front of my, you know, co-students and friends and my professor, and I was so nervous. I was actually gripping the, the old wooden podium so hard that it broke. It snapped in the middle of my message. That's how nervous I was. And we all tell, you know, we all tell stories about how, how crazy that, that first message you give at preaching class was. But that's how I felt at this first retreat, and it was worse because in that, uh, in that first service, there was, it was all the way from like three-year-olds to 60-year-olds, and I have never spoken to uh, a, a church or service that was comprised. Like I, was, I was doing youth ministry at that time. And I, I was, I didn't know, I was like trying to connect, and I, you know, Felt like I in front of the church of Colossae and you have Jews and Greeks, you have Gentiles, you have people not only of different cultures and races, but different approaches, their philosophies were different. Not only that, you had bondservants and slaves in the same congregation as you had masters. <laughs> Awkward. Right? One of the interesting things this was kind of, you know, I sometimes, at that time, there were many Jewish people who, who were in Greece, and they didn't want to stick out. They, they were trying to assimilate, and one of the things, they, they just wanted to look and appear like everyone else. They didn't want to get singled out. They wanted to change their status. And to the church, whether it's Corinth or Colossae, Ephesus, Paul writes to them and he says this, this is the rule for all churches. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned to you. And I want you guys to hear those two words, assigned and called. And if that's the rule for all churches and it's true for us today then, at Crossway Irvine and Crossway Brea, there's a life that God has called you to live. Live it. But live it for the Lord. Amen? When I was doing, I, you know, I did youth ministry, I did college ministry for a while. The question, number one question is, how do I know God's plan for my life? Do I, do I go to this college? Do I study this? Do I become a dentist? Do I become a doctor? Do I become a vet? Do I become a CPA guy? Whatever. How do I know? And sometimes I wish when I was younger I had this, just live it for the Lord. Whatever life God calls you to, Live it for the Lord. So the second error we make when we work is the error of worshiping our work, making our jobs or our work or what we do idols. And we do it by putting the wrong person at the center of our work. Point three, look at verse 24 with me again. For us, we just kind of read it. And it sounds so familiar to, to all of the gospel. And so it doesn't jump out at us. But 
If you were a bondservant, if you were a slave living in ancient Colossae, this verse would have made your jaw drop. Why? What does Paul promise or remind them of? What will happen if you work heartily as for the Lord and not for men? Well, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. The reason why it would have been so shocking to the bondservant back then was because bondservants, slaves, had no such thing as an inheritance. No one promised them ever an inheritance. No one would ever say to a slave, hey, if you work hard, you will receive the inheritance. I'll cut you in with my firstborn. You guys, in fact, I'm not so happy with my firstborn. I'll cut him out. Instead, you will get my inheritance. Unheard of. Language that was never spoken before to slaves is now uttered by Paul and written by Paul Two bondservants, and this is what David Garland says in his commentary, quote, slaves who had no legal standing and could not inherit according to, the wor- to this world's laws are promised an inheritance from the Lord of the universe. The same hope that all Christians have. This was groundbreaking. An inheritance. To be treated as a son and not as a slave that was the promise right that is a you know a crazy promise to attach to this exhortation to work heartily as for the Lord it would be like if I said to my daughter uh, oh I don't even have to use a, a, a hypothetical I could use a real life example you know when I was doing when I was a teacher uh, at, at Beverly Hills Prep School for that one year. Um, there was a girl who um, got an A on one of my exams, and as a reward, her parents gave her a $4,000 shopping spree for getting an A on one exam. And I remember thinking, wow, that's like way over. <laughs> over, over, over. Like, right? You, if you study hard, I will give you $4,000 for getting an A on one exam. That's kind of what this feels like. Work heartily as for the Lord. You'll get the inheritance to a slave. How much more so than does this move people like you and me? Right? To understand the love and grace and mercy and kindness of the Lord's promises, how he treats you and I. And then fourth point, uh, to remember the warning. All right, verse 25, there's a warning. All right, and this is really interesting because the warning is this, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. Now, that sounds like a kind of a, a weird thing to say to a slave. What? In fact, it's, for, for many people, it seems like, well, that's a kind of weird thing to say to a slave, so let's apply it to someone else, because in the very next verse, although it's a different chapter, very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul addresses masters, slave owners, 
And what does he tell them? Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know, it's very interesting is that Paul gives a command of action, of how to live, how to act. He gives these rules to both the masters and the bondservant. But to the bondservant, to the weaker, he also gives what? Rights. This is what the bondservant had lacked up to that time. Before Christ, before Christianity, bondservant slaves did not have rights. But this is what the Bible does. It gives rights. The bondservant had a right to be treated what? Fairly and justly. And so it it seems for us, wow, that's very easy reading. Let's apply the warning in verse 25, the verse right before it. These chapter uh, marks and separations didn't come in until later. So it would have been just a fluid, clear, straight shot reading. Let's apply this warning to masters. Hey, if you don't, don't treat your bondservants fairly or justly, watch out. You're going to get it. You have a master in heaven. I think the biggest problem with trying to do that, though, is that Paul hasn't addressed the masters yet. He's still speaking to bondservants, right? It's kind of like if you have two kids and they get into a fight and to child A, da-da-da-da, and then child B, da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, if you're speaking to child A, you don't, I mean, of course you want both to listen, but clearly you're saying child A this, child, child B this. And I think it's a, it should be a straightforward reading of Paul is saying this to bondservants and he's saying this to masters. And what does he say to bondservants? Hey, If you do wrong, all right, God is not going to be partial. Uh, this is really interesting to me because I think this is the third error sometimes we come across with work. We feel because things are not just, things are not right, we feel like God owes us more than what we have. We're tempted to take shortcuts, whether it's lying about this or cheating this, hours or time card or reimbursements or whatever it is, or the guy gets a promotion that you deserved, you put in the work, or he, someone else gets the credit. And what we do is we can twist our work. We can do wrong, but we try to justify it because we've been treated unfairly. But even to the slave, Paul writes, hey, if you do wrong, you're going to have to answer for that wrong. God does not show partiality. And I think this is a really, really important warning for us today too. That we can't not only reject work or worship or idolize work, but we can't also twist it and make it something it shouldn't be. God is not partial impartial, even to those who are in unjust, unfair situations, right? All right, so there's those four things. Well, what's the gospel application of this for us today? I think it's very important, okay, to remember that even Christ worked as a carpenter, really interesting, right? You you look at Mark chapter 6, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Those who knew him, sees him in the synagogue, he's teaching, and then he's like, whoa, wait a minute, wasn't he the carpenter? He was the carpenter. Now, very interesting, there's a debate on whether he was a carpenter or a stonemason or some kind of builder, contractor, whatever, I don't know. It's 
interesting reading, but I'm not sure it makes a big difference for us today. The reason why they, they say that is because that Greek word translated carpenter is also a word that could just be described as a builder. What was a more common building block material back then? They didn't frame houses like we do today. They used stone. Anyways, he worked with his hands, right? Whichever one you pick, he worked. But so that he could build something much more important. It's the church. And he did that work, okay, by doing work on the cross. Exemplifies what we talked about this morning. Working heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Even when he cried out, my father, my father, right? Not my will, but yours be done. Why have you forsaken me? Whether it was on the Garden of Gethsemane leading up or whether it was on the cross. He put the will of the Father. He did it for him. And he did it with all that he was. Heartily. Heartily. With all that he is. With all of his heart. He went to the cross. So that you and I. Right? And we sing songs about this all the time. Our bondage, our slavery, all of this stuff is broken. We're free now to worship, to live. We're free to work for the Lord. What we're created to do and designed to do. And we must remember that sometimes we overemphasize the future and we forget the present. God has assigned you and called you to your life today. Amen? That's where God calls you to work heartily. Not for yourself, not just for your kids, but for the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and just even this series about finding contentment. We confess to you that we often struggle, we search, we, we pursue, we keep dreaming, and we keep wanting things, things that we think will make us content things that we think will satisfy. But as we're finding out Sunday after Sunday, Lord, you are the answer. You are the solution. You give us hope. But you don't do it just all in the future, even the lives you call us to today, where we're at right now, Lord. And we pray that we would do this for you, to work and live heartily with all that we are, with all of our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.